I have a question for us uh, before we, we have our reading this morning uh, as a kickoff. Um, and I want you to just shout out the answer to, to this question uh, from wherever, wherever you are, if you're comfortable. The question is, what do you want for Christmas? Peace on earth. There we go. Goodwill. A picnic rug. Love. Sorry? Balance. To have my balance back. Very good. Simplicity. A grandson. Yes. To be safely born. Uh, we. Any just like. Presents? Anyone got a, like you know written written a letter to Santa or anything like a new car? There we go. Very good. What do I want? Oh, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> peace, peace on the household. <laughs> um, Okay, I have a follow-up question, and I want you not to shout this one out. Just have a think about it in in your mind. Here's the question. What do you really want for Christmas? And I don't just mean a present or something you might be hoping someone will give you or that you you have a chance to experience or get. Uh, I mean, if you could ask, really ask for anything right now, and that desire would be granted, what would you ask really Maybe like a restoration of a relationship or a, uh, uh, that a certain set of stressors from your life be removed or for healing for yourself or for someone you love. What do you really want for Christmas? So we've been spending some time over a few months uh, in John chapters 13 to 17 and uh, we're going to wrap that up today as we... Uh, then head into next Monday celebrating uh, Christmas Day, the birth of our Lord. Uh, but the Bible reading uh, that Shelley's about to read for us is a little different. It's several small sections from across John chapters 13 to 17, the passages we've been in. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, as, as you hear this read, as we read this together, that you hear the potency of a very special invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples, this final evening that he sits down with them and prepares them to to be servants into the world. There's this, this invitation that, as you'll see, comes many, many times. And just to hear the potency of it, the significance of it. So uh, first let me pray, and then Shelley's going to read these passages for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that... We can call you Father because of what Jesus has done. This morning, as we reflect on these verses, uh, may you reveal yourself more and more to us as who you really are, Heavenly Father, generous, good God. Uh, May we know you as a child knows a good and loving Father just that little bit more. And if there's anything that has been misbelief in our heart or mind, would you shift that this morning for us as we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures? In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks, Shelley. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. So our reading um, today is from the Gospel of John. Chapters 14, 15, and 16. 
John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever... Oops, sorry. <laughs> let's, let's start again. <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Chapter 16, verse 23. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is the word of the Lord. So, ask for anything in my name, and the Father will give it to you. If you were counting that invitation or something along those lines, six times in those three chapters. I, I wonder what you think or, or what you feel as you hear that invitation and that, and that promise from Jesus over and over again. It's uh, clearly not just a single throwaway line, uh, but an invitation and, and a promise that Jesus really wants his disciples to hear and receive in these final moments with them. Uh, maybe you, you hear that and you get excited because you didn't know you could just ask God like that for what you desire. Uh, maybe you hear this invitation and you're confused because you've not experienced the promise that goes with it and the Father will give it. Uh, you, you haven't experienced that to be true. Maybe you're wondering, okay, but yeah, but hang on, like what's the catch? Surely there's an asterisk in the Greek somewhere that's sort of hidden and really what he's saying is something else. I'm hoping we can address some of those questions and issues this morning. Uh, there'll be some questions left unanswered for sure, but I'm hoping we can address some of it. But what I want to start with this morning is just by sharing why I'm speaking on this today and why I've... Uh, I've chosen this topic, and, and to share a little of the journey that God's been taking me on in relation to this invitation to ask. A little while back, I was uh, reading a, a brilliant book on prayer. I'm going to quote from a few times today. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Brilliant book. I highly recommend. And I was struck uh, in particular by the chapter where Miller talks about these, these verses, this section from John 14 to 16, and he titled the chapter, What Do We Do With Jesus' Extravagant Promises About Prayer? What do we do with this? 
Like, can you just take this and t- take it for, for what it is? Ask for anything and the Father will give it to you. Like, what do we do? And I, d- I didn't actually realize that this wasn't just a single verse somewhere or maybe it came up in a few of the different Gospels, which it does come up in the other synoptics as well. Um, I didn't realize it was like six times over and over and over in this section. And then a few months ago, uh, as I was reflecting on this, going, this is really interesting. Um, and felt like you know God was sort of pointing to you know pointing this out to me. I had a couple of days off uh, to rest in the prayer. I had a, a little professional development, like a conference thing I went to, and again this theme of just bringing my request honestly to God came up. Philippians four, First Thessalonians five, you know encouragements to give thanks, but also just pray honestly. Um, but in all of that, it was I was struggling for it to translate to a lived reality of okay, now I'm gonna take up these invitations and just pray more honestly and, and, and ask God for the desires of my heart. It, just, it wasn't translating. Uh, it, it, these things were grabbing my attention, but it wasn't going any further than that. And then one evening, we were sitting down for dinner, um, and Micah, my seven-year-old, brought, brought in the mail. And one envelope was from our sponsor child, uh, Compassion Sponsor Child, and Mike said, oh, what's that? So I explained it to him. I said, "This um, they write letters to us sometimes. And so we opened it up and read it. And to be honest, I don't remember what most of the letter said, except that at the end, our sponsor kids always say, um, they always write at the end, here's a Bible verse for you, and they'll quote a passage of Scripture. And this time it was Mark chapter 11, verse 24, which says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer... Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I hadn't finished reading the verse and I began to weep, began to sob in front of Micah. Micah's going, what's going on? I don't understand this. He was kind of confused. Karen, I think, knew a bit more what was going on. And I explained to him, I said, I've been having a hard time with a few things um, and I'd felt like... The, these verses, these invitations in Scripture had been standing out, um, but that having, having that verse, that particular verse in this letter from one of our kids in Tanzania, it meant a lot because all of a sudden this invitation from Jesus became more than just a biblical promise that I should pay attention to. All of a sudden... As I'm reading these words, it became an invitation being given to me by my father, a personal invitation. It was now real. It wasn't just something Jesus told his disciples, therefore he tells us. This was personal now. That's, that was the experience. And so since then, that was a few months or so ago, I think, I've tried to take up this invitation more so than I had previously. Whether or not I think God's going to answer the prayer, whatever doubts, I, I'm not sure. Can I ask for that? Just to say, okay, God, you've invited me to ask. My hope this morning, and it was my hope three weeks ago before I then had some sort of bug thing and woke up and Rodney filled the gap because this was when I was going to preach this message. But now my hope this morning, having had three more weeks to reflect on this and sit with this, is that you two will hear this invitation from your heavenly Father and from his Son, Jesus, who loves you, to ask. Ask for anything in my name. 
even if there's still questions about what it means and whether this promise is really true, because you will have that question and there will be a wrestle going on inside you as there is with me, but regardless that you would receive and accept the invitation, ask for anything in my name and the Father will give it to you. Let's unpack this promise a little bit, um, uh, consider why Jesus declares it and then we'll explore a little how to respond to it. Starting with these, these verses in John 14 to 16, as I said, six times it comes up. And there are a few key, princi- key principles to understand um, from these verses. First of all, he says, I, ask, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. So this is about God's glory. God is made great when prayer in the name of Jesus, that is, prayer and requests that are brought to him, not because we are worthy, but because Jesus has done what's required to make us able to come to the Father. And so when we bring these requests in Jesus' name, it, it, with, um, yeah, in his name, not by tacking on in the name of Jesus to our prayer, but because of what Jesus has done, then when God responds to that, he is glorified. It's not because we were worthy and we were deserving. He is glorified. Jesus adds another facet to this about God's glory in the next chapter when he says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. So those who ask with reliance on Jesus glorify God through the fruit that comes out of their lives. When we ask and God does it, he's the one doing it. And so he gets the glory. This fruit coming from our lives because we've asked him to work points back to God's goodness. But then in chapter 16, he's talking about the time, Jesus is talking about the time when he returned to the Father and says, Very truly I tell you, my Father will give whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So asking and receiving brings us joy. So is our asking, question, is our asking and receiving when God responds about God's glory or is it about our joy? Which one? Yeah, yes, there's the answer, right? It's a trick question, right? Maybe you've heard this quote from John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Our greatest joy comes from God being glorified in us. And Jesus says that whole deal, God glorified, us experiencing joy, comes from, and it's connected to, our asking the Father and him responding. So then maybe you've heard some people say, as you, as you think about this, okay, we can just ask God for the desires of our heart. Maybe you've heard some people say, but God alone is enough. We, we don't need anything from him. We just need to want God himself. His presence is enough. His love alone is enough. We sing worship songs to that effect. I just want you. You are enough. And it's true, sort of, like we, we, we don't, yes, we don't love the gifts. We love the giver. God is enough. God alone is all we need. But does that then mean we don't ask God for the things we long for? Paul Miller writes this in A Praying Life. He says, imagine a husband who really loves his wife. He is attentive to her needs. 
He listens to her heart. He is her best earthly gift. Sounds like a good husband, right? How would she react if he said to her, don't ask me for anything, I'm your best gift? (laughs) And that is the response you would get in every crowd everywhere in the world. Yeah, right. Karen asked me a few months back if we could arrange uh, a time, uh, because some things were happening in the US, for her to visit the USA kid-free for three weeks to visit family and friends. Imagine if she'd come, hey, Luke, what do you reckon? You reckon we can book a trip to the US? Imagine if I'd said, you don't need to ask for that kind of thing, Karen. I'm your best gift. (laughs) I'm enough for you. Yeah, I'm going to the USA. Where's your credit card, right? Miller writes this. He says, The husband's love for his wife is not disengaged from responding thoughtfully and generously to her requests. And here's the point. If we separate our mundane needs from God's best gift, his loving presence, then we are over-spiritualizing prayer. Let me read on for uh, a second uh, because, this, again, this is a brilliant book. I really want you to read this in entirety. But he goes on to say, If we ask nothing of God, we are left adrift in an evil world. Such a position, in other words, a sort of, um, you know, we just want your will, God. You know, it's all, you know we, 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 don't, we, we kind of ignore our own desires and the things of our heart. Don't we, we don't ask. It's always just, no, your will be done, your will be done. Right. Such a position may feel spiritual because it seems unselfish, but it's unbiblical because it separates the real world of our desires from God's world. I love this quote. The kingdom can't come because it is floating. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, of course. Here's how I put it in boring, simple words. We are invited to ask God for the desires of our heart because what he ultimately wants is a real relationship with his children, a real one, an honest one. He doesn't want like employees who are just really productive. We just say, okay, what next, master? What next, master? He wants a real relationship with his kids, an actual conversation, parent and child, And asking for a child is natural. Asking is real. Asking is what children do. Now, let's say over the course of 2023, I had kept a tally of on one column is all the times my kids asked me for something. And every time they did that, I marked uh, another mark on that on that column. And then in the other column, I marked the number of times that they said something like, Dad, I just appreciate you for who you are and I'm grateful for your character and integrity. Just, or some kind of gratitude or appreciation, right? What do you think that tally would look like? 999,999 to somewhere between zero and one, right? It's sort of way out of balance. Now, I'm not saying the balance should be the same with the things we say to God. There should all be that. But if, for, but if a good chunk of our communication with him isn't asking, maybe we've not got the right idea of who he wants us to be and who he actually wants to be to us. He wants to be a father. He wants for us to know where his children 
As adults at Christmas time, in this, this time of year, we, we say this is a season of giving, right? And we find the joy in being generous to others. That's all true. Seeing a family member open the, a gift we got them on Christmas Day and seeing a smile light on their face because they experience love uh, from us through that gift. And that is central to growing up as a Christian as well. As we mature, as we become adults in the faith, we become, we learn to become generous, not just wanting all the time, but generous, learning to love giving, giving to others, giving to God. But maybe in our growing up, in our maturing in faith, we've also tended to not just become more like God in that, because we are to become like our Father, generous and wanting and loving to give, but maybe we've also tended to lose the posture of a child who acts quite differently to what we do at Christmas time. Their attitude over these last few weeks has been what? Can I have this present, mum and dad? I want Lego. Can I get a skateboard? Can I get this? Is this one mine on Christmas Day? It's all asking, wanting, please, right? And occasionally tears because they so longed for something and Santa didn't bring it. Kids know how to ask. And somehow in our walk with Jesus, we need to both mature to have generous hearts while still keeping a childlike faith. So Jesus says to us, ask. Because in doing so, we learn to become children like children, relying on our Father in our Father's world. And I, I use that term uh, intentionally. This, this is, all around us, God's world. This is our Father's world. This is why we can come to him with our request. This is why we can ask. And this was important for Jesus to, to communicate to his disciples. It was important for them to understand this is God's world. I dare say it's even more important to us today to understand this is God's world. This is our Father's world. Here's why. Significant shifts in what is normal thought and a normal and common worldview, way of seeing the world, took place in the West including Australia, a couple of hundred years ago. This shift was called the Enlightenment. Right? Some of you will be more into history than I, than I am. You know a lot about this. But 200 years ago, approximately, the Enlightenment. Immanuel Kant, a significant uh, Enlightenment philosopher, placed all things in life into two domains. In one domain, that which is real, that which is verifiable and factual. So this is science and matter and everything you can verify, and it's true for everyone. In another domain, in the second domain, he placed that which is inner. He called it the inner domain. Just true for individuals, based more on feelings than on facts. Immanuel Kant placed God, faith, and prayer in the inner domain. That which is not truly true or real. It might be true for me, but not true for you. And the effects of that shift in placing those things, religion, God, prayer, faith, in the inner domain, the effects of that shift in the world, we call it secularism, are actually mind-boggling. This is far more significant than we tend to realise because we're just living in it. 
Let me give you an example of how significant this shift has been for another uh, uh, historic faith. The Orthodox Jewish faith or Orthodox Judaism has traditionally been a, a very, um, uh, uh, it's, it's survived a lot. It's lasted a long time. So this is quoting from Miller. Take the Orthodox Jewish faith. It survived attempts to exterminate it by, the, by Pharaoh, the Philistines, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Samaritans. That's biblical history. It survived the Greeks during the time of the Maccabees, the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, the forced evacuation of Palestine in AD 35. It survived Islam, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Russian stars, and Hitler's final solution. But Orthodox Judaism has barely survived the Enlightenment. It is but a shadow of its past, claiming only 10 to 15% now of all Judaism. That's one example of how significant the Enlightenment has been on the life of people with faith. Almost uh, another example, almost all the what would some would call the Ivy League colleges, um, uh, universities all around the Western, Western world began as Christian universities, but under the influence of secularism and the Enlightenment, most of them have set aside the Christian faith. Here's how N.T. Wright puts it. This is just it's, it's mind-boggling. Religion was woven tightly into the whole social fabric of the world as it has been at almost all times and almost all places in human history, with only the last two centuries in certain parts of the Western world being exceptions. What that means is that the way we naturally are taught to think and see the world is not normal in comparison to the majority of human history, in comparison to most people who have ever lived in all time. The way we see things is not normal. The way we are shaped and formed in this Western world to see things is completely different. The world we live in, in comparison to most of the rest of human history, is not leading us towards... God and prayer. Miller puts it this way. He says, in, in our world, prayer is defined as phony and then it feels phony. That's what the Enlightenment and secularism has done. But here's where we need this shift in thinking. If God actually is the creator and God actually is who Jesus revealed him to be, then asking God, bringing our request to God, not a God who's in my inner private world, but the God who is real, verifiable, factual, then asking God should be natural and acceptable and normal. This is my Father's world. This is God's world. To ask God, to ask God, to bring our request to God is to combat that gravitational pull towards the pervasive worldview that is secularism. I think of my attempts to put this into practice over the last few months, and I feel this gravitational pull. I, I doubt and I hesitate. What, what if, you know, this is what I'm asking for is not really good for me? Is there any point to this? Is God hearing? Like there's this pull always away from just a view, this is God's world. And he wants me to ask. Even having walked with Jesus for, for 20 years, believing he's the creator, believing he's my father, his love is generous, that force of secularism is so strong. 
And I believe he wants us to hear this invitation from him afresh. The invitation into the reality of it's God's world. God is not a feeling. He's not true for you and not true for others. This is our Father's world. So as we then think about this and go, okay, if God's inviting us into this space, just bringing our request to God, naturally just talking to him, what then of this slight problem with Jesus' promise where he says, ask for anything in my name and the Father will give it to you? The reality that this second part here is not just is just not our experience. How, how many of you have ever asked God for something and the response has not been, and here you go? <laughs> how many of us have ever asked God and we've felt, no, he has not responded? So how can this be true? A couple of weeks ago, Karen was away uh, in the States. I'd had a really tiring few days at a persistent migraine. I was not getting anything done. And so I think it was yeah, Wednesday night, I, I, I went to bed and I asked for restful sleep. I said, God, you've asked, called me to ask. I said, can you give me restful sleep, clarity of mind in the morning? And then Abby got gastro that night. She was up <laughs> for seven hours throwing up every half an hour, and my migraine was way worse the next day. So the next night, okay, God, you've, you've called me to ask. I just asked you this night, restful sleep, you know, just a good night's sleep for everyone. What sound did I wake up to again at 12.30? <laughs> right? Now, that's, that's a, a trivial example, but there's other things I've asked God for, even pleaded with God for in tears, and, and so far he hasn't granted them. Maybe you have experienced the same. So what's going on then? Is Jesus a liar? Is this like, well, you said it, but now you're not keeping your promise? Thankfully, biblical scholars come to the rescue, and they explain to us ordinary folk what Jesus really meant in these passages. And if you're not getting it, note the sarcasm. For example, here's what one biblical scholar says. Jesus is really saying... Ask me to do anything for you in the area of my work, and I will do it. If we intend to be effective witnesses, we must employ God's assistance through prayer, asking only that his will be done, not ours. Only then do we have answered prayer. Now, it sounds right, sort of. But the problem with that is that it's actually enlightenment thinking. Remember these two realms of here's what's verifiable and here's what's sort of just private and personal and it's not true. There's no connection in this, this, this way of approaching things between, the re, between reality and the divine. The kingdom can't come because it's floating, right? Prayers in our little private world over here, it's not part of real life where we have desires and wants and we wrestle with things and this is how God's made us. There's a disconnection. We just pray, oh, God, your will be done. And in the meantime, our mind is on things we desire and we hope for. But we can't ask him because we've got to pray in what he wants. Jesus' brother James, on the other hand, I think actually does give us some helpful pointers. No sarcasm here. He says this, on the one hand, this is within the same couple of verses, on the one hand, you do not have because you do not ask. So the one risk is we just, we just don't ask God. On the other hand, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Of course, when we ask God for things which are ultimately going to damage us, 
or are going to damage others. God's not going to go, oh, no, I promised them that I would give them anything they ask for. This is not going to go well, but I have to to keep my... Right? He loves us too much for that. But that's, that's the second part and that risk. But James rightly points out that while that's one trap, the other trap in that first line is to not even ask in the first place, whether for fear of getting it wrong or, or misbelief about God's heart. We are meant to ask. Sometimes we just do not have because we don't ask. Going back to Jesus' promise in John's Gospel, a couple of weeks ago, Kaya spoke about how the Holy Spirit would be given to lead us into all truth. That doesn't just mean head knowledge, but a lived experience of unbroken fellowship with God. So if we ask God for something, we bring our request to him, and despite his extravagant promise of, of granting our request, he knows that request is not ultimately for our good. Would it not stand to reason that he would respond graciously as a loving father highlighting to us why our request is not the right one for now and to help shift our desires so we then ask for the better thing he has for us? To put it bluntly, maybe God sometimes wants us to ask him for the wrong things. How else will we come to learn that he has something better for us? Now, I say this as one way among many to wrestle with this extravagant promise and invitation. This is not the, the, the explaining of, of, of how, to, how to kind of be settled with it. You've actually got to grapple with this and go, you know what, uh, this is, uh, you just got to wrestle with it, the extravagance of this promise. I don't want to be guilty of explaining away Jesus' invitation. Oh, well, what he really meant is, because <laughs> I don't fully understand it, if I'm honest. Sometimes he does not grant our requests. And answered, unanswered prayer is painful and it's confusing. But if nothing else, this invitation draws us into real relationship, honest relationship. We don't try to understand God. We don't try to control God. We just allow him to be God and this to be our Father's world once again. And we go, God, this is what my heart wants. I'm going to bring it to you. So can I encourage you as we head into Christmas, and think, well, what do I really want for Christmas? To be real in prayer? <laughs> to be honest in prayer with your Father in heaven? What do you want for Christmas? What do you long for for 2024? Maybe it's been too painful to even let that request out because you go, I don't want to be let down again. Be honest and try not to pretend to be holy, this kind of false holiness. God, I just want your will for my life while your mind wanders off into what you really desire. That's not real holiness. That's just trying to pretend. Bring real stuff to him. He can handle it. Maybe, just maybe, God will respond and answer your request and you'll go, why did I not ask earlier? <laughs> maybe you'll need to wait a while because that request you have, he longs to give it to you. He just knows it's not the right time yet. Or maybe he'll say no. Or maybe he'll say nothing and it will be painful. But even in asking, you will have taken a small step closer to walking with him as your father. 
And somehow, some way, he'll still show you how much he loves you. God does answer prayer. I want to finish this morning. I know we're probably going to run a bit late this morning, but I do want to finish with this story. Um, Just to encourage you with a story of how creative and caring our God is. Um, There's this story, just a small story of, of answered prayer in our family, something that's encouraged me to keep asking my father for the desires of my heart, however small or however big they may seem. Uh, Over the course of this year, um, we've been journeying with Micah and some struggles he's been having in in school. And um, one one of the prayers in particular has just been around his lack of confidence sometimes. He gets into trouble and then he kind of goes into this, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I can't overcome this thing, whatever that thing is. And he, he will say that in a number of different settings in a number of different ways. And so when that's happened, you know, there's been both an encouragement, but then also we'll pray with him usually at night um, that God will help him to overcome those challenges that he's having. The other thing that I've been praying, and I, I shared this a few months ago, um, all through the year is when we rock up at school, um, we pray this consistent prayer um, every morning around help God helping him to be a blessing. Right? So we sort of pray something along the lines of God help Micah to you know, focus today and be attentive and may he be a blessing to his teachers and his friends or whatever the case may be. And, and so that's been a consistent prayer as well as the helping him to have resilience and overcome challenges and that kind of thing that he's facing. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when, when Karen was away, they, they had an assembly and the teacher said, hey, Micah's going to get a certificate of excellence. Can you come and, and you know, be there with, with him with that? And uh, so that, that was great and he was real proud and everything. But afterwards, we took the certificate home and I had a read of it and I realised, uh, and some would say, oh, well, it's just you know, what the teachers write for all the kids and that kind of thing. But I, 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 I really believe that what has been written in this certificate is a distinct answer to prayer. Let me read it for you. Micah, throughout this semester, you have consistently shown perseverance when challenged and consistently demonstrated resilience and a strong work ethic. You will actively seek opportunities for growth and are willing to incorporate constructive feedback into your work. You are not afraid to tackle difficult tasks and always strive to overcome obstacles with determination. This is exactly what he struggled all year with not being able to do. And then the final line, Micah, you always show respect, kindness, and cooperation to others. I said to Micah, Micah, how do you think we are a blessing to others? I don't know, Dad. I said, it's respect, kindness, and cooperate and working alongside others. I said, Micah, do you see how God's been answering the prayers we've been praying all year? I think he's starting to get it. God answers prayers. Sometimes we've got to look for the answers. <laughs> but God answers prayers. So, Yoi and Ethan, if you want to join us at the front.